Welcome to the Natural Capital series as part of Fast Sounds, where we will explore different natural capital assets and their value to Scottish agriculture and the rural economy, including opportunities and risks for the future. I'm Rachel Smiley, the host of the series. Producer is Ian Boyd, editor Ross McKenzie, executive producer Kerry Hammond, as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. Throughout this series, we will be joined by a wide range of farmers and experts to discuss and debate a variety of natural capital resources important to Scotland. This is our second episode of the series, and today we are joined on site in Tainish, Argyle, to discuss Scotland's rainforests. We are joined by Helen Bibby and Stan Phillips, who will be telling us all about this special and unique habitat. Welcome both. It's great to have you on the Natural Capital podcast. Thankfully, the weather is behaving at the moment. Do you want to just start by introducing yourself, Helen? Hi, Rachel. I'm uh, Helen Bibby, Senior Conservation Consultant with SEC. I'm based in Oban in Argyll. My work focuses on management advice to farmers, crofters and other land managers to support farming and biodiversity. It's a varied job and ranges from grant scheme advice to best practice information supporting different species and habitats, as well as raising awareness of the importance of biodiversity within the farmed landscape. This can include corn crake management one day, woodland advice the following day. Along with agri-environment advice, I focus on working with NatureScot on developing outcome-led systems for grant support in the future. I think it's really important to help farming at this time while they're making the change to increasing sustainability and biodiversity support within their agricultural management. Recognising the importance of habitats such as native Atlantic woodland is part of this. That's great. And Stan, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi there, I'm Stan Phillips. I'm an operations officer for NatureScot based here in Argyll. My work includes biodiversity management advice to landowners and land managers, particularly those on our designated sites, many of which are woodlands here. I'm involved in a number of projects for Scottish rainforest, the restoration enhancement of which could neatly help address the twin crises of climate change and biodiversity loss. This is episode two of a six-part series on Fast Sounds. You can listen back to episode one, which was with Dr Hannah Rudman, who introduced the topic of natural capital and its importance to Scotland on the Farm Advisory Service website and channels, wherever you normally get your podcast from. Remember to like, follow and subscribe to listen to all the episodes in the series. So Helen, you've produced a lot of documents and videos that are part of Scotland's national priority species. Can you tell us just a little bit more about that? So the national priority species comes from the Scottish Biodiversity List, which is a list of animals, plants and habitats that Scottish ministers consider to be of principal importance for biodiversity conservation in Scotland. These originally came from the UK Biodiversity Action Plan in 1994 and became Scotland's list after devolution. They include species and habitats that are rare, are in significant decline or have a limited distribution which is under threat. They include species such as black grouse and corn creeks and habitats such as raised bogs and a number of different types of woodland. Okay, thanks again for joining us. Stan, I hope um, you could answer this. What are Scotland's rainforests? Do we really have them here? Yes, we do. We have temperate rainforests here, and temperate rainforests occur wherever there's uh, high rainfall on a lot of days throughout the year. 
that means the woodlands here are very rarely dry because as you've seen this morning we've had a lot of rain. Where there's temperate rainforest the climate is also fairly mild. We have mild winters and we have cool summers which means there's, there's no extremes of temperature. The, the woodlands here never dry out uh, and that's what a lot of the species that are special in these rain, rainforests really like. The conditions here occur like that because we're so close to the Atlantic Ocean and there's only about 1% of the world that has the conditions that we've got here in this woodland today. And in Europe, it's concentrated along the Atlantic coastlines of Britain, Ireland and Norway, but especially in Scotland. So where we are today is in a rainforest in Tainish National Nature Reserve in Argyle. And we're surrounded by trees, obviously. We've got big oak trees, uh, birch trees, and there are crags, boulders, and everything that you can see is covered by mosses, liverworts and lichens. Further afield there'll be more crags, bigger ravines, uh, watercourses uh, and more trees and, and steep slopes. And this is typical uh, Scottish rainforest on the west coast. Yeah, as you said, we're standing in Tainish and it's um, very, very green. Even though the, it's quite wet, it's still quite warm, so I understand what you're saying, it's a temperate thing. Can these Scottish rainforests be found throughout Scotland? Are they to a certain part? Or you said it's only 1%. So where can we go to see them apart from Tainish? These temperate oceanic conditions only occur in 1% of the, the planet. So in Europe, they're only found along the extreme west coasts of uh, the western side of Europe, um, but mainly in Scotland where it, there's a sliver of these conditions up there the west coast of Scotland from Kintyre to much further north. Okay, and on the coast, how can you tell the difference between what's a Scottish rainforest or what's just like a coastal woodland? Well, if you walked from Argyle to Edinburgh, you'd slowly see the woodlands changing. If you look behind you now, there's a huge oak tree, which you can barely see the bark of because it's so covered in mosses, liverworts and lichens. And that's as far up the tree as you can see. The further east you go, that coverage of uh, these lower plants, if you like, on, on the bark of trees will slowly diminish. And by the time you get to Edinburgh, there'll be hardly any mosses on the tree at all, uh, apart from uh, around, the, around the base of the tree. So uh, that, that's the difference. And the species that are covering the trees here only live in these conditions. So you'll only find them in these woods. So if you want to look at um, what makes these woodlands different from other woodlands across the rest of Scotland, you have to start looking at the mosses, liverworts and lichens to really see the difference. Is that what you mean by the lower plant species? The mosses, the liverworts and the lichens? And are these not found in other woodlands then? Or is it just a different type that are found here? There are different types that are found here and the biomass, the amount of them, is much, much bigger here than in other woodlands across Scotland. Yeah. But there's an assemblage of species that will only be found in the rainforests. And what about other biodiversity in terms of birds or any other types of species? Is there ones, any indicator species that are just for Scottish rainforests? 
Not to the same degree as there are for the lower plants, which are really the special group of uh, organisms that live in these woods. But you will find species like uh, pied flycatcher, red starts, and a few other birds that are much more prevalent in, in the west coast woodlands than they are further east. When I first heard Scottish rainforests, I thought of tropical rainforests and never knew they would have existed in Scotland, but obviously these are different. But in terms of biodiversity and um, species, are these just as special as tropical rainforests? Yes, they are in their own way. Some species groups like mosses and liverworts are perhaps better represented in temperate rainforests than tropical rainforests. And while the rate of tropical rainforest deforestation is a huge concern, it's sobering to remember that actually we've lost most of our rainforest already. And uh, there's very much less of it left than there is tropical rainforest. So when you were saying liverworts and mosses and lichens, can you go into a wee bit more information about what each of these are and the difference between them? Yeah, uh, mosses and liverworts are quite similar things. They're small, non-flowering plants that can live on trees, boulders or, or, or the ground. Uh, everyone will be able to recognise a moss because they'll see some in their own gardens. And what you'll see here when you come into these rainforests is an incredible diversity of mosses, all different species. Uh, this uh, woodland here that we're standing in, Tainish, has over 300 species, which is a quarter of all the UK's mosses and liverworts. So the diversity in these woodlands is really, really high. A lichen is something completely different. It's, a lichen is a sandwich of fungus with an algae in the middle. So the, the algae photosynthesizes and gives the lichen its energy, but the fungus pulls in minerals and nutrients from the surrounding environment and, and feeds the, the lichen organism uh, that way in a, in a sort of uh, symbiosis with the algae. I really like that description of the, the sandwich. I'm going to look at them different from now on. <laughs> so Stan, what makes our rainforest so special? Well, Scotland's rainforest is hugely important for biodiversity and there are suites of species here that uh, you'll find nowhere else. But it's not just about that. It's an important place for the people that live and work on the west coast of Scotland. Its management provides jobs, its canopy provides cover for livestock. Communities use it for exercise, health and well-being. It's a destination for tourists. But it can also help us combat the climate emergency and biodiversity crisis. It's an ecosystem that uh, locks up huge amounts of carbon while providing a vital home for a globally significant assemblage of species, some which, as I said, occur nowhere else. Yeah, I think what you're saying is so true. It's such a valuable type of natural capital, providing lots of ecosystem services of the regulating and supporting and also the cultural services like you said about the recreation and the value to the surrounding community and that's great. Can you tell us something about the diversity found in these woodlands? Yeah, the rainforest provides perfect conditions for mosses, liverworts and lichens and that's where the real biodiversity of these woodlands is found in the, in the lower plants where there's hundreds of species that occur throughout these, these woodlands, a lot of which you won't find in, in any other habitat or in other parts of Scotland. So the sheer abundance and diversity of the species found here makes this habitat pretty unique and internationally important. And remember that we have all the best remaining sites in Europe for this habitat too. 
Now you've already mentioned the big oak trees uh, behind me. Can you point out some other species that are just surrounding us just now? Yeah, we've got a ground flora here of very many different types of fern species. Um, we've got honeysuckle coming up through the ground flora. Um, there's boulders uh, covered in, in the species that I, I keep mentioning, the mosses and liverworts. And flowering plants, of course, which are most prevalent in the spring here, like, like the bluebells and the uh, enchanters, nightshade and, and other species. There's a fern behind us here, which is called hay-scented buckler fern. If you pick a piece and put it in your pocket, once it's dried out when you got home, it smells really strongly of hay. But uh, that's a species that's only found in, in these rainforests along the, the sliver of west coast of Scotland. You never really see it much more than a, a kilometre from the sea. So Scotland rainforests are also important for butterfly species, a number of iconic butterfly species that are on the edge of these rainforests, such as checkered skipper. These rely heavily on woodlands. You only find checkered skippers on the edges of woodlands on the west coast, usually in a 50-mile radius of Fort William for some reason. So along with butterflies, eh, there's lots of other things that use the woodlands. So the glades are as important as the woodland itself and the woodland edge is as important for species like that. More information on these species can be found on the FAS website. There's information sheets and videos and the links to these will be in the show notes below. As I mentioned that I wasn't aware that there was Scottish rainforests but now that I'm here there is quite a few people here walking around and there's nice walkways and there's viewing platforms. How can people find out more information and where can they go and visit a Scottish rainforest? Well, this is a National Nature Reserve, remember, owned by Nature Scott, and this is what we do, encourage people into them and put uh, infrastructure in place for them to enjoy them. Um, but not all of our rainforest sites are, are owned like that. They're mostly on, on farms and on estates where that sort of infrastructure isn't put in because of the, the priorities, particular priorities of the landowners and farmers. But it, you can go onto the Nature Scott website or the Alliance for Scotland's Rainforest and, and find out where the, the best places to visit the rainforests are. The places that have visitor facilities like a place to park your car and trails to walk through the forests. And you can provide the links at the end of this podcast. Actually, uh, loads of rainforests that's out with these kind of reserves. There's loads of rainforests on farms right up the west coast of Scotland. The problem is that that rainforest is often in small, inaccessible places, starting to become f fragmented. Well, it's become a lot fragmented over the past decades. So it tends to be on in ravines, on steep ground, where it's really difficult to get at. It's uh, often used as wintering by stock. It's not easy access for the public to go and see. However, the more you look around the west coast of Scotland, most farms will have some rainforest left, particularly in inaccessible places. The problem is that that rainforest is not really valued in uh, our farming landscape, except as a large shed for cows, which, of course, it's really useful for. But you can't keep doing that year after year after year and still have the rainforest in good condition, so that starts getting into management. Do you think a lot of farmers know that they have Scottish rainforest on their land and how diverse it is and how special it is? No, I don't 
I don't think so. I think they know they've got native woodland, they know they've got scraps of native woodland, but they don't always know how diverse and special and, and uh, what a biodiverse climate this is. They wouldn't think of it as a rainforest. In fact, many may think of it as an area of scrub that's you know useful to put the stock in in the winter for a bit of shelter or useful for firewood. Uh, so I think information like this to help farmers understand the value of what they've actually already got in their farm, help them understand it a wee bit more and why it's important, is really useful. There's a really nice video on the Alliance for Scotland's Rainforest of a farmer on Mull who, re who really values the, the rainforest woodland on, on their farm and uh, it goes into a bit of detail of how they view it, how they use it, how she values it and, and that sort of thing. That's a, that's a nice uh, wee video to have a look at. Within that, there's a whole range of different people, actually, not just farmers who are using the video. You know, there's all sorts of people who work in these type of woodlands and can get jobs in that. And that video, is, I've watched it myself, is really good because it highlights them all. You mentioned the rainforest is fragmented on the west coast. Is there a map that farmers can, landowners can go on and see if they do have it on their land? Or is it a case of getting a specialist out to do a habitat survey and to find out if they have it that way? There are maps available online. Uh, some of them are quite difficult to interpret at times, but basically if a farmer's got some native woodland, you know, with, with Scottish trees like oaks and birch or, on their land and, and they're situated on the extreme west coast of Scotland, then it's very likely to be rainforest. If a farmer wants to know a bit more about the rainforest, you know, they can get surveyors in, they can get someone to come in and do a biodiversity assessment who will not only help them but with what rainforests they've got, where the fragmented parts are, what's left, but also, you know, help them with what maybe they can do to support that rainforest better, to expand the rainforest or at least look after the amount of rainforest they've got left on their farm and to help them to see what's special about their own rainforest. Yeah, that's, that's the quality aspect is really important as well. Um, finding out the quality of the, the habitat they've got and, and how they can improve it, um, because a lot of the issues surrounding the rainforest that we've got left are management issues, like invasive rhododendron, the amount of deer uh, and stock that are through the woodlands, that sort of thing. So uh, if they've got rainforest, uh, and if they're not interested in expanding and connecting up the fragmented bits they've got, then there's, there's always the, the quality issue. How can you increase the, the quality of the woodland you've got? And there's some pretty simple um, tools that you can use to do that. There's actually a lot of threats to the rainforest we've got left. Quite a big percentage of it is in really, really poor condition. And the poor condition is caused by uh, overgrazing by sheep, cattle and deer. It can be one of the main ones, but it's not just that. Rhododendron invasion or invasion of any native species is really bad. And something like 50% of all rainforests we've got left is invaded by rhododendron ponticum. It's just... It's a, a huge figure, and so even to assess what's there, so the rhododendron will start off small within the woodland, get into the woodland, and you think, well, what can it actually do to the woodland? But it can choke out the whole woodland and actually kill the trees because it grows up and, and chokes everything out. So, you know, I'll just kill the whole woodland after a time. So invasive species are an issue, along with the fragmentation and only very small blocks of woodland being left. Climate change is also 
also has an effect on the woodland because the woodland needs to be uh, healthy to get through the next few years of climate change and diseases that are coming about now, ash dieback and these kind of things. So they're all starting to affect rainforests in quite big time, really. Yeah, the two big issues that affect the quality of rainforests are the rhododendron invasion and uh, browsing pressure in woodlands because uh, with a high browsing pressure, there's no next generation of trees coming through because the young seedlings are, are all nipped, nipped away. But 80% of all browsing pressure in Scotland's rainforests is actually from deer uh, and only 20% from stock. So deer are the big issue on uh, making sure we've got another generation of trees coming through to sustain the, the rainforest legacy, if you like. Where we're standing just now in Tainish, it looks really healthy to me. Are there measures to, to keep the deer out and to eradicate the rhododendron and the other measures that you've mentioned? Yeah, there are. And, and as I say, this is a national nature reserve owned by Nature Scott, so that, that is what we do. That's our primary purpose for being. Yeah, we don't believe there's any rhododendron left in Tainish National Nature Reserve, which is really, really unusual for a rainforest area. And, and deer, we have a program of deer management that's continually going on throughout the year here. So uh, yeah, we're well on top of the deer. Possibly not quite enough. You, you still see a lack of regeneration, uh, less than we'd like to see here. So uh, the, the, the deer issue is a difficult one. No matter how much we shoot here, there'll still be deer coming through neighbouring areas of ground. So it's a big issue, but yeah, we've got those processes in place for management. On a farm, it's much more difficult, especially if you've got deer issues, as most West Coast farmers have. It's much more difficult to control deer. You can control your stock in the woodland, but without a significant deer fencing or a significant shooting program because actually you don't need that many deer coming through your woodland to take out all the regeneration over the winter. There is grant aid available, there is help available through uh, forestry schemes or uh, various project schemes but fencing, deer fencing can often be a big requirement. We were in Ireland for our holidays recently and Ireland is, is bigger than Scotland and it has about, I don't know, 10% of the deer that we have in Scotland. So they've got maybe 100,000 deer, we've got over a million. And the difference in the quality of their woodlands was, was just amazing. You know, the full understory in the woodlands, regeneration coming up like a rash in various places. And when we visited one farm where a farmer had planted a woodland and, and the oak had come on just enormously quickly and it was completely unprotected. You know, they don't have that issue. And in that situation, you just realize what a huge impact deer are having on, on our woodlands and what the potential could be if we were a bit more on top of our deer. So why are there so many different types of mosses and liverworts here? Well, there's a number of factors for that. One is the enormous amount of rainfall we get, uh, but another really important factor is the number of days throughout the year that we actually get rain falling here. So conditions are always humid and wet, and, and the tree canopy really helps with that. It helps keep the humidity high, and mosses and liverworts really need that. Remember, these are really quite primitive plants, and uh, they, they don't reproduce in the same way as flowering plants. They reproduce by having sperm swimming through films of water to fertilize the eggs on the female plants of, of another individual. There's an archaic reason there why they do well in wet places because their reproduction cycles need, need water. 
However, it's more than just the rain and the humidity. The reason why there's so many species here is partly due to the complexity of the, the environment here. We've got crags, we've got boulders everywhere. There's trees, all different sorts of trees with different types of bark that different species will like. So there's a whole range of substrates for all these different species to live on. Some species will like a particular type of rock, some species will like a particular type of tree. The range is huge. And in addition, the places where you find the rainforest and all the high diversity of the mosses and liverworts are in very rural places out on the west coast where there's never been much industrialization. And, and the lichens as well really require that, that clean air that we've got here in, in order to thrive. There's lots of, it's no one reason, it's all these factors come together to produce this you know, special place that we have where these particular species do well. You mentioned clean air, so would air pollution be a threat to Scottish rainforests? Yes, it, it would be. You know, if there was air pollution coming through an area of rainforest, then yeah, it would be a threat to the species that lived in it. Um, thankfully, that's that's seldom the case. So, you know, the west coast of Scotland is still quite remote and uh, very rural. So, yeah, by and large, pollution isn't really much of an issue for us. Although, um, you know, acid deposition and nitrogen deposition has been a factor in the past. Things have cleaned up significantly in the last 50 years, though. On the way into our location today, there was some unhealthy looking ash trees. Is that a problem here? Yeah, it's a problem everywhere in the UK. Uh, ash dieback. A lot of our ashes, if not you know, very, very much most of them, uh, all seem to be dying. They're taking a few years to die, so it's a sort of slow, drawn-out process. But yeah, that, that's a real concern. There's not a lot we can do about it. The country tried various methods of control early on, but the disease got away from, from everyone and that there's nothing much we can do now except watch its demise. But uh, that's a real concern for us, the biodiversity impacts particularly of, of ash dieback because there are very many species, particularly of lichens, but some, some mosses and liverworts too, that, that rely on ash because ash has got a, such a basic bark compared to the acid bark of oak trees. Uh, there's some species that will only live on the ash and, and it's a real concern what that means for our future biodiversity in some of these woods. And if uh, some landowners have ash die back and are seeing significant ash dying back on their farms. Is there anything they should be doing about that? Not really. Uh, there's not a lot they can do, I, I don't think. Um, we're in the early stages of thinking about different species that could fill the niche that ash had, and, and sycamore is one of those species that, that might be able to help because that also has a basic bark quite similar to ash and can host similar species. But at the moment, in terms of the ash trees they've got, no, there's, there's not a lot we can do at the moment. Yeah, maybe it's just a question of waiting to see. I think maybe in the long term, we're hoping that some ash trees might survive. The ash dye bank become resistant in the long term. Do you think that's a possibility? Hopefully it's a possibility, but we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, I don't think there's, uh, we've got indications that's, uh, that's certainly the case yet. But uh, yeah, let's, let's hope that somehow uh, a new generation of resistant ash survives this onslaught and, and manages to become our, the future ash trees for, for Scotland. 
ash dieback is caused by a pathogen which came over from Europe somehow and infected our ash trees and gradually spread throughout the whole of the UK. The most obvious signs are the dying back of the crown of the ash tree. Uh, you'll see a lot of dead branches at the top and browning of any leaves that have come through. Other parts of the ash tree might look all right uh, at first, but it's the crown that dies off first. And then there's lesions and things on the bark. But the most obvious thing is, is all the dead branches and twigs at the top of the tree. So if farmers and landowners did have rainforests on their land, how do they look after them? Hey, don't think of the rainforest as something where you can't have livestock at all because livestock or grazing is actually a more natural part. It's still a natural part of these systems. You know, we talked about how important the glades were and the woodland edge effect. That's still important. So they're, they're not the type of... You don't really want to fence them off from everything except in certain circumstances. You don't want to fence them off from everything and have absolutely no grazing in there unless you can do that in the short term. So, you know, grazers are kind of a part of this. If you can control the deer, that helps, because when you're assessing how many livestock units are, how many, what livestock could be in, you do need to remember that deer are probably on top of that. So there's a certain number of grazing regimes you could put in place, and some of these can be supported through forestry grants, for example, grazing and woodland grants. So a grazing regime could be a winter grazing regime where you put low numbers of livestock in a wood for shelter in the winter as long as they're not damaging the wood so it'd be very extensive grazing and then have no livestock at all over the summer or you could do it the opposite way around have no livestock at all if you can manage to keep deer on track in the winter that would help just have your livestock in for a few months in the summer, maybe to create some glades and then back out again for the rest of the year. And the, and livestock, cattle do a really good job, but sheep can also do some of a, a job. Each woodland area will be different depending on what type of ground it's on, you know, what it actually looks like, what condition it's already in. So if you're not sure yourself you can you know a good time to ask for advice you can ask for advice because you can send someone out or and, th and they'll help you decide on numbers there's formulas for numbers of rain of, of livestock units within a woodland if you were say if your woodland was say in really bad condition and you were trying to give a boost in tree numbers obviously that is the occasion where you probably wouldn't want any livestock or any deer in it at all. That would be for you know up to 20 years to give it a boost to make sure that the, the trees can actually grow and regenerate and form in. And after that, well, maybe you'd put uh, some cattle in it to help create these kind of glades within the woodland. 80% uh, of the impact within the rainforest could be attributed to particular herbivores. So most of that tends to be a deer. So livestock at the moment aren't causing a big damage. So you, what you want to do is make sure that the rainforest actually gets some kind of a grazing break so that it can, in some areas, have regeneration. So nobody's expecting wall-to-wall -wall regeneration throughout the whole forest. But if you're getting none at all and you're continually grazing that historically over a huge number of years, then your rainforest really will be on its way out. So you can look for browse lines within the rainforest. You can look at the understory to try and assess what kind of grazing you've already got. But don't think that it's a no-no for grazing because that isn't true either.
Okay, and what are the benefits to farmers and landowners in improving the condition of their rainforests? Are there wider benefits to the public? Is there carbon sequestration? Can they benefit from carbon credits or anything like that? Uh, they could, especially if they were planting new woodland, uh, they could uh, apply for carbon credits, and the price of which seems to be increasing all the time at the moment. Uh, if they plant wood, new woodland in the right places, they could not only help with carbon sequestration and their own carbon budgeting, but it can improve farms' resilience to climate change uh, by providing shelter to animals and crops, by reducing feed costs, reducing risk of flooding, reducing soil erosion, and, and possibly diversifying farm income in different ways, as you said, through carbon credits and the like. They'll also diversify wildlife habitats, of course, on, on the farm, and uh, in, they can increase connectivity of all our fragmented rainforest stands. But uh, yeah, so there's a few things that farmers could do, uh, and, and the way that the woodlands will benefit them, and not just through stock raising and shelter as well. Woodlands will make your farm more valuable and uh, will provide shelter for cattle in particular and sheep in bad weather. So that's a really big advantage to farmers. And when, you know, I'm speaking to landowners around and about Argyll, many of them are using woodlands for a uh, shelter because that's where the animals will head. And that's really good on condition on an animal. So it's really good to have some kind of shelter for livestock. And woodlands can be really valuable for that. In fact, essential on many farms. But what I would say about that is you need to make sure that some of your woodland is able to recover. So if it is so valuable that you need it for your livestock, that's, that's great. But make sure that the livestock are there in numbers where you're not depleting your actual rainforest or causing too much damage to it. Because then what's happening is in the future that rainforest won't be there to provide essential shelter for livestock. And don't forget about the deer. On, on top of your livestock. Uh, yeah, it's all about sustainability for the future and sustaining these uh, rainforest areas into the long term. Okay, so we talked about fragmentation of woodlands being one of the main threats. That's, uh, you know, isolated patches, especially in a farmed landscape scale. So if landowners are looking to increase their woodland cover, it's a really good place to start by looking at what they've actually got and any grant application for native woodland will be looked more favourably on if, if you can join up fragments of this old woodland or expand somehow the fragments of the old woodland that you've already got. And that, that would add so much benefit to any new woodland that's created. And the reason for that is that species thrive better in larger blocks of habitat. And the smaller the block of habitat that you've got, the more likely you are to lose special species from them. There was a piece of research done by the Royal Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh and they had a look at the dispersal ability of rainforest lichen species in uh, fragmented stands of woodlands and they found that um, the species that they looked at had a dispersal distance of about 100 metres beyond the woodland edge. So the more we can connect up these small fragments, the better chance of survival some of these uh, rare and special species in our woods have got. So what is something really exciting and interesting at the moment? In terms of the rainforest, so the rainforest is moving up the agenda as, as it becomes better known and appreciated what it is and, and the 
quality of the habitat, the sort of issues that we've talked about become acknowledged and, and we think about what we can do about that. There's the Alliance for Scotland's Rainforest has been set up in the last few years and the Alliance is a voluntary partnership of uh, more than 20 organisations that are all committed to collaborative action for the benefit of the rainforest. Nature Scott are a partner, as are the Woodland Trust, the NFUS and the uh, Scotland's Land and Estates. So it's a huge diversity of organisations that are involved in that and looking at how they can actually um, you know, tackle the issues with uh, a rainforest, uh, the sorts of things that we've discussed. In Argyll, we have a number of rainforest projects going on and, and we're, we're trying to put a strategy in place for identifying where are the rainforest areas? How can we best connect them up and expand them? Uh, hopefully we'll be moving forward on that in the next few years. Also, the agri-environment funding for farmers is changing and I'm quite hopeful that if you've got good quality woodland, that'll become part of uh, your scoring system for future agri-environment schemes where you'll get extra points, means extra money, and therefore you know, to be starting to look after the habitats you've got and have them in good condition could open doors for future funding. And where can we find more information on all that we've talked about today? The internet is your friend. There's enormous amounts of resources available on the internet now. Uh, the Alliance for Scotland's Rainforest is, is a good place to start their, their internet or their Twitter feed, in fact. But uh, well, you probably know better than me all the resources that are available on the internet there. The Alliance for Scottish Rainforest has its own website that you can find by Googling it. I'll show you who the partners are. It'll give you a load of information. Also, the Farm Advisory Service website. You can find loads of stuff on many topics there, but National Priority Species has its own section, so you can find the links there to different videos that we've made on different parts of National Priority Species, as well as more information on the rainforests through that. Thank you, and we will provide all these links to the websites that we've mentioned in the show notes below. Thanks, Helen and Dan, for coming out to the rainforest today to let us know more information. And thank you for joining us on this Natural Capital episode. If you've enjoyed listening, please subscribe, like and follow our podcast wherever you normally get your podcasts from. Leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and if you'd like to get in touch, you can find all of our contact details in the show notes below. You may also enjoy some of the other shows such as Rural Roundup, Crofting Matters or Thrill of the Hill and a whole range of other podcasts available on the Fast Sounds pages and Farm Advisory Service website. Join us again for our third episode on the 11th of October where we will be somewhere just as damp but this time looking at discussing peatland habitats. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.